Welcome back to Jacinda Ardern's favorite podcast, Beethoven Walks Into a Bar. I'm Mike Gordon, Principal Flute of the Kansas City Symphony. I'm Stephanie Brimhall, the Director of Education and Community Engagement. And I'm Jason Sieber, the Associate Conductor. Well, today we are very fortunate to be joined by guest conductor and native New Zealander, Gemma New. And much like New Zealand's Prime Minister Arden, she is a woman on a mission to make a truly global impact in a role where women have historically been excluded. She has conducted many of the finest orchestras in Europe, North America, New Zealand, and Australia. She is artistic advisor and principal conductor of the New Zealand Symphony, music director of the Hamilton Philharmonic in Ontario, Canada, principal guest conductor of the Dallas Symphony, and she can even call herself a fellow Missourian after a stint as assistant conductor of the St. Louis Symphony. That's right, Mike. And I got to say, I've really enjoyed getting to know Gemma this week and see her on the podium working with our, our musicians of the symphony. It's just been a very inspiring week of rehearsals, and we had our first performance just last night. It was incredible. <laughs> it's just great to watch her work with the symphony, and it's great to have her here on the on the podcast today. And you know, one of the highlights of the program this week is the world premiere of a brand new violin concerto by Chris Rogerson, one of our favorite composers here at the Kansas City Symphony. And Gemma is a conductor who knows a thing or two about premiering new works. Her contemporary ensemble, Luna, has premiered 30 works over a span of six seasons, which is just astounding. It turns out that she also has something in common with a few of our other guests this season, and even with me being a former assistant conductor of a Missouri orchestra. Uh, She started her career in music as a violinist. So without any further ado, let's welcome today's guest, conductor Gemma New. Welcome to the show, Gemma. Uh, Thank you, Jason. It's great to be here. Hello, everyone. And I wanted to thank Mike for a wonderful concert and also thank Jason for all your help this week as assistant conductor. Absolutely. Well, thanks for joining us, Gemma. So we're super excited to have you and kind of get a different perspective because we're interviewing you after you've spent a week with the orchestra and, and in the midst of these concerts. So I'm really excited to hear um, your perspective on on things here. But before we do that, I want to point out that your resume reads like a true who's who of the world's orchestras. And I want to know how you manage to work on at least three continents simultaneously. How are you, how are you accomplishing <laughs> all of this? <laughs> yes, uh, it's uh, a rather a challenge, Stephanie. It's great to have met you as well this week. Yeah. And uh, I love community and engagement. It's so important education that our orchestra gives to the, the cities that we're in. So it's, that's wonderful. Oh, um, yes, I it, I just travel a lot. I'm, uh, I say I'm like a boomerang. Uh, you throw me out of the house, I always come back, but I do go on a big journey. Um, and uh, it's just being uh, calm and organized. Uh, and, and then I love what I do. I have amazing colleagues all around the world that inspire me, give me so much joy and energy. So it's, it's a really great journey. So tell us a little bit about how you just got started in music uh, at home in New Zealand. You played the violin, and uh, and and what eventually led you uh, to be a conductor? I, I started off playing in as many orchestras as I possibly could as a violinist, and. Uh, when I was 12 years old, I fell in love with the orchestra and the way that we all play together uh, beautifully in harmony and we all need each other to support uh, that creation that no one can do alone. And I just had that epiphany 
At 12 years old, we were playing Mussorgsky Pictures and Exhibition. Uh, it's a piece that, you know, everyone loves and that those great gates of Kiev are just so resounding. Uh, and, and then I started conducting when I was 15. Um, at my school, we had five orchestras, a very rich orchestral community. And one of the uh, conductors was leaving. We wanted to thank her for her work. And so we did a surprise performance and being concertmaster, they said, go on, Gemma, why don't you take the rehearsals and, and lead it? Mm-hmm. And I thought, wow, this is so awesome, because I, I, at that point, I was 15 years old. I had a lot of stage fright, um, having to face the audience. And now I could turn my back on the audience. That was awesome. <laughs> um, and also, then I could face all my friends. And we had this uh, time of growth through the rehearsals. I loved seeing how we unified everything and looking at the score. Um, seeing all the secrets of how the piece was constructed, I found that really fascinating. Nice, nice. After getting your degree in violin in New Zealand, what made you decide to come to the U.S. to study conducting? And what are some of the the biggest differences or similarities between studying music in New Zealand and studying in the United States? Oh, there are many wonderful musicians all around the world. So I think I was very lucky in New Zealand to have great mentors um, and we had these guest conductors who would come and do the National Youth Orchestra. So I was playing the violin in, in the youth orchestra. And at that time, I had a job with the Christchurch Youth Orchestra as conductor. And so I said, oh, could I please ask a, a few questions about the scores that I'm working on with the YO in Christchurch? And he said, sure. Uh, and then we never actually looked at those scores, but he said, oh, I, I want to listen to the balance in the hall. Which, is there a conductor around? And uh, he allowed me to conduct in all the sound checks on tour and uh, gave me a lot of great advice. And that's how I heard about Peabody in the US. Uh, and then they mm. came to audition. And it's a rather small school, which was really good for me because I come from New Zealand, which is a very small country. And <laughs> I think if I'd gone anywhere else, I'd been quite overwhelmed with the size and scale of things. But this personal connection that we had, a smaller class and um, having uh, lots of podium time there was really beneficial. Uh, you know, we've heard that a lot of times when we're, when we're interviewing our, our guests where there's there's like a pivotal moment. There's And it oftentimes it's a specific person that has kind of flipped that switch for you or, or provided that opportunity or provided that moment of, you know, positive encouragement that really changes ultimately the trajectory of what you are going to do with your career and your life. And that, I mean, it sounds like that from you. I'm, I'm curious between Gemma and Jason, like, do you guys Think about that in the way that you interact with people. I know, Jason, you work with a lot of young people and Gemma, the same. You know, is that something that you're conscious of that when you're working with um, people early in their careers that, you know, you could potentially be the person who's sparking that interest in in someone else? You want me to go first? <laughs> I'll answer that question. Um, I think you think about it somewhat, uh, but but just like the people that were mentors for us probably weren't thinking of that in the moment. You just have no idea how much you're really inspiring people. But I will tell you to kind of give you a perfect example of this and to talk about Gemma's impact. Not only was Gemma resident conductor of of the St. Louis Symphony, she was also music director of the Youth Symphony. And I conducted the Missouri Allstate Orchestra in January of 2020 when she was still the St. Louis uh, Youth Symphony conductor. 
And I had a lot of her musicians in that Allstate Orchestra. Many of them asked me, do you know Gemma? Do you know our conductor Gemma? And it was so clear the positive impact and the inspiration she was providing for these extremely talented students that were working with her in the youth symphony. So a lot of times you don't get to hear, I think Gemma, you'll agree, a lot of times Mm -hmm. students don't express to you directly necessarily how much of an impact you're having but it's always great to hear years later from them or perhaps through someone else. I'm telling you right now that, I mean, all those kids told me how much they loved working with you on a weekly basis and how much they were learning from you and how inspired they were by you. Well, I'm sure they really loved working with you too, Jason, at the Allstate, <laughs> because I know that they came back buzzing from the Allstate concert. So well done okay, on good. that front too. Thank I you. mean. And uh, it's very important to give back because there have been so many uh, conductors and um, musicians in the orchestra, um, soloists who just take the time to answer a question. Uh, you know, it's only five minutes and, uh, and yet it changes someone's perspective for a lifetime. Uh, and obviously I don't think I have that kind of wisdom, but I, I have appreciated that from people who are older than me. Uh, I'm so grateful for it. So if anyone does uh, write me an email, I'll very thoughtfully, I mean, it may take me a while to respond, but I I take very thoughtfully um, how I would respond um, so that I can help in any way I can, um, absolutely. Um, And it's quite exciting, like one of the um, young uh, students in St. Louis came to the Indigo Girls Pops concert <laughs> in June. We have all these Pops concerts and there's two guitarists uh, and pop singers and they're wonderful. But he wrote me an email afterwards and said, I love conducting. I want to be a conductor. And um, he came to every rehearsal after that with the youth orchestra with scores. Mm. And we talked about analysis. And he started conducting Brahms at his high school. Uh, he was only 13 years old. Wow. Uh, and that sparked it, just seeing that concert. So it's also a responsibility to get our young people into the concert hall and make it a feel a home for them. I wanted just to follow up. And I don't I don't know how much time you want to spend on this, but I, I know that you also probably get it a lot. Um, as a woman in this field where it's dominated by by men, especially in the conducting world, do you feel a sense of responsibility in encouraging women, young women to do that and kind of uplifting and following that path? Or is that something you don't really think about? Um, I have always just wanted it to be a non-issue. Yeah. And just to be treated the same as everyone else. Uh-huh. So what I prefer to think of it is I, I want to support all young people, um, no matter what gender they are. I think that will help to get uh, everyone open-minded and having open conversation and just uh, we're looking at uh, potential and, and growth together. And, and so then we don't start compartmentalizing. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, I think it's I think it's so interesting. You know, there's so many incredible female musicians, of course, even just speaking within the realm of, you know, symphonic classical music, and yet still so few female conductors. And from a standpoint of music, there's absolutely no reason for that, of course. And and it's serendipitous in a way that you ended up at Peabody because, of course, Marin Alsop was the longtime uh, music director of the Baltimore Symphony. Is she a, a person that you were able to connect with? 
ever or that inspired you in some way? Um, yeah, her teacher, Gustav Meyer, uh, was at Peabody when I was there for two years doing my masses. So it was a boot camp with Gustav Meyer and Macken Thacker. And then Marin was music director of the Baltimore Symphony, and she would have um, all of us come and cover conduct. Um, so I assisted her on a, a couple of programs, and uh, it was great to see her work, and she was very supportive. Nice. Uh, to shift gears here, Gemma, um, even pre-pandemic, you were thinking about how to reimagine the concert experience. You launched a series uh, of intimate and immersive concerts in Hamilton. Tell us a little bit about what led to that and how you think the concert experience needs to continue to evolve in the future so that we continue to engage new generations of concert goers. Yeah, absolutely. So we have this amazing concert hall, uh, well, here in Kansas City. Wow, this is amazing <laughs> concert hall, I have to say. Uh, it really is the best in the world. Um, but we also have a very nice concert hall in Hamilton. And uh, I love our, our crowds. We get everyone that we possibly can and nice full houses and the buzz is just so so full and exciting but um, for some people they feel maybe not so welcome in the concert hall it's such a big foreboding building and just walking in the door is, is like am I supposed to be here so we wanted to find a more relaxed situation for everyone um, where you can wear jeans and like know that's totally cool or you can wear your, your best dress and that's also great uh, and then uh, with the orchestra we wanted it to be more up and close uh, and more interactive with the audience so we have a uh, it's quite a complicated effort, but it's a totally different format. So it's in a smaller room. We have a bar and we definitely use it. Musicians <laughs> and audience all mingle. Uh, we have an indie uh, electronic band that comes and performs before and in the break and afterwards and takes little recordings from our concert uh, and then starts to loop them and, and experiment with the the motifs, which is fun. Um, and so it's already a very different uh, bar setting. And then the orchestra's in the middle of this room and then the audience is surrounding the orchestra. Cool. So you can sit right next to the percussionist if you want to. Um, oh, cool. <laughs> and also then we um, get everyone to switch around every few pieces. You have to swap seats so that oh, uh, nice. you get a different viewpoint. Um, I have a lot of like Q&As or like uh, games that we play um, that has to do with the music, which is fun. And then um, it's like a little bit of a comedy night. It's become that now that we have composers come. So it's all new music and the composers come talk about their piece. We give them interviews and we get to know them better. And um, they're often very entertaining people. And uh and then visual art is a big part of it. So there's screens of, I guess, visual. Sometimes it's electronic. Sometimes it's, we have sculpture that's moving around. Sometimes it smells or textures that you can mm. feel, walk around and feel it. Uh, we had a Paradise Island theme. So it, this um, artist wanted us to feel like we were actually you know, with the sun and the beach right there. And uh, yeah, so it's just very interactive, very intimate and, and just a lot of fun. And it's very different, but we get a totally different crowd. Um, and then actually a lot of them, we have found that a lot of them just come to our orchestra concerts in the big hall after that, because we know each other and 
Uh, it's much more relatable for them. Yeah. How many, I'm curious, I'm very intrigued by this idea. How many people, what size audience are you talking about at these? Well, it's intimate. So we have maybe like 200, 300 max. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Still still a lot though. That's great. That's cool. Yeah. That's cool. I think anytime you can uh, combine music and beverages, <laughs> it's going to win. <laughs> you can't go wrong. And all those other sens- sensory experiences. I, I love the idea of trying to feel like you're at a tropical environment. Why? I mean, that's so neat. What a what a great concept and a great idea. I, I love that you have people move in the space too. Yeah. Because there's something, um, and we've talked about this before on in our conversations. There's something, um, you know, that can be very powerful about coming into a hall and sitting in a seat and being quiet and just experiencing the music in front of you. But there's also sometimes something too, um, like you said, too formal, too too static, too rigid about it. And I love, uh, I love that you're creating that experience for your audience there. That's very cool. You know, I've experienced that in our petite performances, and this is something totally different, um, but we invite uh, parents and their young children, I mean, infants and toddlers, to very short performances, but we do them on stage in the concert hall. And there's something really interesting. It when you when they step onto the stage, you can see it kind of change. Their demeanor changes, and it become like they feel like they're a part of what we're doing. You know that that boundary between the stage and the seats it doesn't exist, and so you can see that shift and and their body language and how they're interacting with the musicians just by proximity. I think that's really important. Hmm. So I'm curious when you, when you do these concerts in different formats, is the repertoire more focused on new music, more focused on standard repertoire? It doesn't matter. How does programming choice uh, get affected by the different concert formats or does it? Yeah, absolutely. So um, with any program, I like to have a relatable theme so that if you know a lot about music or very little, you're going to have something to know. I, I get that message. You know, um, and so with this program, we definitely have always had a theme, and it helps our visual artists as well. But um, we started off with Mozart, Bach, Stravinsky, uh, and then we have found that because it's such a contemporary setup, and because everyone is so new to orchestral music, we have all new music for these concerts now. And uh, music of today, it's our local Hamilton, Toronto composers mostly. Um, but we, you know, we go further afield as well, have a good variety. And I really take a very good amount of time researching music of today. Mm. And I go to every composer's website on periodically to see what they're writing. And then I have a big diary, you know, that looks at all of the their pieces and their styles and uh, what I thought about each piece so that we find the great fits hmm. and then uh, we find a program that flows really well or has really nice connections of thought between e- each other. Hmm. I like that. I was going to ask you how you go about discovering new voices or do you have a process for, I mean, obviously with, with your diary, you probably have lots of favorite composers whose music you've discovered either by performing it or th- through a colleague. How do you have, 
do you actively try to seek out new young composers and how do you go about doing that? Yes, I I am quite lucky in that I can narrow it down to Canada mm-hmm. because uh, Canadian music is very much supported in Canada. So we have the Canadian Music Centre that um, the CBC, the, mm-hmm. the radio station, records so much music uh, and then they put it online for us to enjoy or... Um, you know, every composer needs a great website. And uh, quite frankly, if they ha- don't have the information on the website, I will write to them and ask for it. And often they do write back and give me a recording or, you know, a private score or something so that I can properly research it. Cool. It's one of the hardest things um, that I, I'm always impressed by, you know, conductors or people who program things, discovering new music is so hard, particularly when it's something that's just been written. There may not be a recording of it. Um, you may have to do that. Just reach out to a composer to, to, to see a score. And there are so many, uh, actually. I mean, it's such a, a rich time, actually, for new music. Where do you even begin? So I suppose having it narrowed down to Canada helps, but I suspect <laughs> I suspect um, that doesn't really narrow it down that far. <laughs> <laughs> They also have um, some nice ways of recognizing composers. Um, you know, for America, the ASCAP Awards it's, uh, or BMI Awards. Um, uh, you know, there's quite a few places where, or, you know, you look at uh, what new music ensembles or, or quartets even have, have been programming. Mm-hmm. So I just go down the rabbit hole, really. Um, and I've started to do that a lot for New Zealand music now, too, because I've just started mm. this position in New Zealand. So, uh, yes, and uh, looking at UK music, it's very interesting. I mean, every country has this their music of today and their styles that are growing. And, wow, you go to, like, Germany or Austria, it sounds completely different to mm. what we're hearing mm. in North America. Um, and, yeah, that's great. I mean, this is... So exciting. Having all that variety, yeah. Yeah, we're starting history. <laughs> yes. So you mentioned um, a minute ago that you uh, you like to have like a tie-in, a programmatic tie-in when you're, when you're forming these concerts. I wonder if you could tell us about this concert that we're in the midst of performing right now. So we've got some, um, we have this new violin concerto that we're premiering. Um, we're doing Sasson's Organ Symphony. Can you talk a little bit about how that program evolved? Because I know as a guest, you know, you might be coming in with some pieces already in place. Um, but just a little bit about how this program came to be. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so with guest conducting, often I'm going to an orchestra, uh, possibly for the first time, or I don't know anything else that's happening in their season. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, I actually try to leave it to fate um, in that uh, I was told about Chris Rogerson's violin concerto. That's what we started with. Um, and it was a wonderful conversation with Nancy Chalifour. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I listened to Chris's music and I thought, wow, it's so colorful. And uh, it has a really nice uh, structure and the way that he writes for orchestra, I think, sounds quite wholesome. It, it, and then I thought, okay, well, what's with the, his style, what would it go with? Hmm. And then I try to add as many pieces as I can from my repertoire that I think might fit and then send that to Nancy and say, look, please, I want music that the orchestra will love playing, something that fits into your season really well that your audience is going to love. 
And so then she picked the Saint-Saëns and uh, the Ravel. The Ravel, yeah. It's really like being a chef and putting a meal together and having the balance and the components of different tastes that people are going to experience and something that they're going to love and maybe something that's new and adventurous that they're unfamiliar with. I mean, that's I'm a big foodie and I love being surprised by a chef and trusting them. It's a lot of trust that our audience puts in us to put together these programs that are going to be uh, really exciting experiences for them where they're going to learn something new and maybe perhaps enjoy something that they're familiar with as well. Gemma, I wanted to ask you about um, one of your many uh, positions is, is principal guest conductor of the Dallas Symphony. How did that relationship start? Because they're a fantastic orchestra and uh, I w- I'm curious how, how that relationship started and how it's developed. And, you know, probably most of our listeners don't even know what a principal guest conductor mm-hmm. is. They know what a music director is. They know what an assistant conductor is. But several American orchestras especially have this role of principal guest conductor. Is it just that you're in there conducting more often than most guest conductors? Or are there other things that happen behind the scenes in your role as principal guest conductor that maybe people don't know about? Yeah, so we have the music director who is very much involved and the top guru for the orchestra. And then we have principal guest uh, who I think it's uh, it's more coming in, having a long term relationship with the orchestra, um, getting to know the musicians, perhaps on a deeper level than you'd be able to if you were guest conducting maybe, you know, once a year. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, it's been a real joy getting to know the orchestra and performing some amazing repertoire, great concerts with them. Uh, and it's it's really just a joy in making music. I, As a principal guest, I can just focus on the music, really, uh, rather than have to worry about all the other responsibilities that a music director needs to do, which is what I do in Hamilton and, and quite a bit in New Zealand now as well. So um, I'm just really enjoying all this uh, great music making. We just had... Mazorsky pictures in an exhibition last week, uh, which is one of obviously my favorite pieces, oh, and so good. Uh, and then Prokofiev, Romy and Juliet the week before, and and I guess one of one of the perks about it is that you get to um, have a bit more say in the repertoire and the programming process because you know the orchestra better. You can then have that uh, closer conversation with the artistic team. Um, about what's going to be right. And just like any um, staff position for a conductor, usually, you know, whether it's music director or principal guest conductor, usually it's because you've been there a few times as a guest and have created a spark with that orchestra. It just feels like a good fit. So talk about what that was like with Dallas, specifically with your first few experiences with them and, and how, you know, it just felt organic and great from the very beginning, perhaps. Yeah, sure. I mean, our first um, encounter was actually is like a the women's symposium that they have. So they already, I mean, they have an um, amazing uh, vision for uh, the orchestra and in the way that they communicate and and reach out to so many um, people. And so and Kim Notemi is is really wonderful CEO there. So um, her idea was to have this uh, once a year women's symposium where. There are panels and people just talk together about um, how to have, I guess, more women leaders in in Mm -hmm. the whole orchestral field. Um, And, you know, everyone comes from afar and and, and talks and and, uh, 
So it was a week that was rather involved with that and also the music on stage. And we did La Mer, mm. which was fantastic. And a New Zealand piece as well, um, Rain Phase. Mm. Oh, nice. So I did with the youth orchestra in St. Louis in the National Symphony. and Nice. Yeah. Well, I have to tell you that, so the Dallas Symphony, that's my hometown orchestra. I grew up in Dallas. Um, it was the first professional orchestra I ever heard. When I was in high school, my band would perform. We got to perform in the Meyerson many times and i love i loved it so much that that's actually where my husband and i got married was at, at the meyerson Symphony oh, cool. center so yeah so it's a warm spot in my heart is uh the dallas symphony it's a beautiful space for a wedding that's a really wonderful stephanie <laughs> yes you know uh, funny funny very quick aside is that we had one of the very first weddings in there I think it might have been only been like the second one. So they had no idea really what they wanted to do with it or what they should charge us or how they would set it up or anything. So we got it as a steal. I mean, I think we paid maybe $1,000 to rent the space. And now you can't rent it for less than like, I don't know, tens of thousands of dollars. <laughs> so we got in there just in time. It was it was exciting. So uh, now that you've spent uh, some quality time in Dallas and St. Louis and Kansas City, um, and, and this is going to be very important for you to think about before you answer. Uh-oh. Which of those cities has the best barbecue? Uh-oh, here we go. <laughs> Have you had barbecue yet here in KC? Because I know we talked about going to go get some. I know. I, I haven't actually been able to try it's okay. the barbecue here in Kansas City yet. So You'll have to get back to us. I need to. I Today, later today, I really want to. We can go, go tomorrow, too. To, I've, had, I've had some it's, recommendations. Yeah. The answer is Kansas and, City, but we'll let you go out and confirm that. <laughs> but yes, I would assume... I would assume it's going to be Kansas City. As a yeah, Texan, I can tell you it is Kansas City. It is that oh, is the wow. correct answer. Oh, so. betraying wow. your homeland. My goodness. Wow. Well, I've been well, here long enough. That's true. Well, uh, nice. Gemma, this has been such a fantastic conversation, and we really uh, we really appreciate your time this morning. Um, we do actually have in our bylaws that we're required to uh, ask you two uh, final questions here as we wrap up. Um, and this is also very important, perhaps more important even than uh, your thoughts on barbecue. And so uh, you're aware, of course, this podcast is called Beethoven Walks Into a Bar. And, you know, we always kind of conceived it as just a casual conversation between musicians as if we might be sitting at a bar just talking about life as musicians. And so we ask all of our guests these two very important questions. Number one, what is your favorite beverage of choice? Could be alcoholic, non-alcoholic, coffee, tea, water, Gatorade. And secondly, if you were enjoying whatever your favorite beverage is with Beethoven, what might you want to ask Beethoven? Yeah, uh, I like a good cider. Mm. One that's not too sweet, not too bubbly, but, you know, something in the middle. Uh, very refreshing. And if I was with Beethoven, well, I think I would just probably listen to everything he might have to say. Um, I loved looking at his manuscripts in Bonn. I uh, got to go to the Beethoven house and they brought some of the scores out. And I, it just really struck me how many, um, how human he was. Mm -hmm. So his teacher would uh, mark in red pencil, and there was quite a bit of red pencil, <laughs> of all his th theory errors in his exercises. And uh, and so you're like, okay, he's like learning. And this is also difficult for a genius like Beethoven. And then the biggest question I have for him are 
all the dynamics that mm. are so contradictory sometimes, all the, there's just small edits in the symphonies that I would just love to ask him, note lengths or balances and, and things like that. I, I would probably bring my scores and say, what did you mean here? Huh. I, those kinds of things. Nice. But it's at a bar, so you probably wouldn't want to talk about this. <laughs> uh, maybe. Maybe. You he get enough ciders in them, yeah. you can get them to talk about anything, probably. <laughs> what is your favorite hard cider, if you had to pick one? Because I haven't tried a lot of ciders. I'm curious. Oh, I mean, it's really just something that's a bit drier and, and not too bubbly. Okay. Yep. I, I'm not fussy about the brand at all. Okay. going to have to go exploring. If we go get barbecue tomorrow, we're going to get some cider, too. I'm, I'm going to take right. your recommendation. <laughs> That'd be good. We'll learn that something about great. ciders. Yeah. Well, um, right quick before we uh, wrap up, you know, you've mentioned getting to know New Zealand composers so much, and we often recommend some listening at the end of our podcast. Do you have any particular... Uh, pieces or composers uh, of New Zealand uh, that you would like to recommend for our listeners? Oh, yeah, sure. So um, we have a, a great website uh, called Sounds, S-O-U-N-Z. Hmm. And uh, you can go and explore many New Zealand composers. Some of our top names right now are John Sathas. Uh, that's P-S-A-T-H-A-S. Uh, Gareth Farr. And also Selena Fisher, mm. who I mentioned earlier. Terrific. Well, nice. uh, we'll have to put uh, those names and that website uh, in the in the notes for our listeners to check out. And I'm going to look forward to checking that out myself. Nice. Well, thank you so much uh, for having this conversation with us today. And it's been a great week of rehearsals and concerts, and we so look forward to your next visit. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast so you always see the latest episode the moment it drops. And our season isn't over yet. Check out our website and social media channels for dates and locations of our mobile music box concerts. June 17th through 19th, we welcome conductor Ryan Bancroft and violin phenom Augustin Hedlich for the Sibelius Violin Concerto and music from Tchaikovsky's Sleeping Beauty. And then we close our season June 23rd through 26th with our music director Michael Stern and pianist Awadajan Pratt and the iconic Ninth Symphony of our friend, Mr. Beethoven. As always, you can call our box office for tickets or purchase from our website at kcsymphony.org. 